Welcome back to Roundtable, podcast of Mid-America Reformed Seminary. I'm Andrew Compton, Associate Professor of Old Testament here at Mid-America, and we are continuing our series on chaplaincy ministries uh, here on Roundtable. Today, uh, we have a longtime friend of the seminary, Pastor Phil Cholker. Phil's a uh, 2004 alum uh, and also uh, has served a number of churches currently as now pastor St. Andrew's Anglican in Tinley Park, Reformed Episcopal Church. Remind me how the, that relationship works with the Anglican Church in North America. You, you've, you've used the language, but those of us in Presbyterian circles and Reformed circles lose it. You said it's a founding jurisdiction? It's a found, founding jurisdiction of the ACNA. Okay. And uh, the ACNA came about because of radical agenda of the left in yeah. the Episcopal Church. And uh, we came alongside these people to help form an Orthodox Anglican jurisdiction in this continent. It's neat, too. I think a lot of our listeners may may uh, hear the word Anglican and go, oh, isn't that just an English thing? Or isn't that a, uh, not really associated with the Reformation? But, of course, the 39 articles are thoroughly Reformed. And uh, we, we maybe we'd like to talk about, uh, you know, different branches within the Reformation. We're cousins, as it were, in the Reformation. Although your story is so fascinating because uh, you've served even a number of other churches, right? You've served a Christian Reformed Church. I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. I served a uh, Hungarian Reformed Church yep. when I was in seminary. Been in the United Reformed Church. Yep. I've been in the Reformed Church in America. And uh, wherever the Lord calls, uh, yeah. here I go. Sort of the, the, <laughs> the, the world tour of Reformed denominations, That's right. right? <laughs> That's right. Well, no, we're thrilled to have uh, have our brother uh, Phil here. He's often come and done chapel and long time been a uh, friend of this um, institution. And uh, we're just glad to have him here to talk about his work in healthcare chaplaincy. So thanks again, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, I described us kind of... The, the kinds of uh, chaplaincy ministries you're involved with. Of course, you're a full-time pastor, so you're doing the regular work of preaching, teaching, visitation, et cetera. But you're also, and, and at various points in your ministry, you've been involved in healthcare chaplaincy. What, what has that looked like? How did you uh, how did you get into that? And when I was in, in junior high, I had a lawn mowing empire in which <laughs> I uh, cut lawns of many widows. Okay. I was and, wondering uh, where that was going. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and in the course of cutting lawns, widows, uh, you know, many of them are lonely, and uh, I seem to do very well with them, playing cards, having tea, helping them with groceries, uh, helping them when they're uh, during health crises, and uh, mm. I, I enjoyed it. Always had a, always had an attachment to older people, in particular widows. Uh, when I came to uh, Mid America in the year two thousand, um, uh, I was invited to be a night watchman at Holland Home here in South Holland, oh, okay. which uh, was a full-time job at night, uh, making sure our dear loved ones uh, stay stay home at sure. night. Sure. And I also was able to study all my courses at Vid-America during that time. But in the course of those four years, I got to know um, many different facets of, of uh, health care, particularly with older people, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Alzheimer's and dementia and post-surgeries and loss of limbs mm-hmm. and... Um, and then uh, in 2007, Rest Haven Christian Services became Providence Life Services, and a, and a position of chaplaincy opened up, and I applied, and uh, the rest is interesting. Is uh, history. Was that full time? That work was full time. Okay. And the, and the healthcare chaplaincy is very diverse. I had to deal with um, Code Blue, which is actively dying. Okay with um, lots of dementia care, which is a very interesting avenue of ministry. Uh, Post-operative care at home, hospice, 
and uh, dealing with families. And as the culture around us deteriorates and returns to its ancient pagan roots, mm. it's basically a missionary position and not just simply dealing with church members. So what I think a lot of, uh, we, we've heard from other chaplains already and, and just uh, noted in general is that it's such a significant evangelism opportunity for the church. It is a wide open door. Yeah. And um, the church can offer so much to families who are falling apart, who are mm-hmm. literally in crisis, and to be a, a stable voice of Christ in their lives really opens doors. And it's an area that will be increasingly important in the life of the church in this very, very pagan America now. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and when people are, I mean, they're, they're either in the hospital or they're in some kind of memory care or other, other sort of facility because their body's breaking down. I mean, the curse is at work in, in all of us. And, um, and, and the realization of that brings people to any number of crises. So yeah, I mean, what a, what a way to bring hope that uh, might otherwise be uh, completely unobserved. Now, you've served uh, in uh, full-time and, and part-time pastoral roles as well, but I know currently full-time and, of course, other full-time roles. How have you found, um, what are some of the differences, and in fact, what are some of the advantages maybe of being able to be full-time in a healthcare chaplaincy role, things that the uh, the the local pastor who even visits a hospital regularly doesn't have access to or doesn't have opportunities with. What Could you describe just some of the unique opportunities of the chaplaincy? Being Having come from both perspectives now, full-time parish pastor and, and a full-time chaplain, um, the disadvantage a parish pastor has is simply the lack of time. Hmm. Visiting just making a simple hospital visit in the Chicago land is a one as a whole day endeavor. Yeah. And when you have two <laughs> sermons to prepare for endeavor. Yeah. Uh <laughs> this 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 is why I really would urge maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I would really <laughs> urge churches who are in the same vicinity to band together huh. to really have this specialized ministry focused on because it is extraordinarily time consuming. Mm. And if you're preparing faithfully sermons and Bible studies and mm-hmm. administrative things, the, uh, the full-time pastor has, is significantly disadvantaged. As far as dealing with hospital staff and uh, other, other entities in the hospital, again, that takes enormous amount of time. And most full-time pastors just do not have time to have donuts with the staff right? or right. Uh, sit around in the coffee shop and see, who's, see what needs there are. And so uh, a specialized ministry of this sort is, I think, very critical, particularly in the, in the historical moment that we are in in this culture. I wonder if people even realize uh, that there are, in most hospitals, there's facilities. There's almost like a wing for the chaplains. Yes. And uh, I mean, there, there's resources by being there full time, yes. meeting space, et cetera, yes. uh, that, that seem to be really, um, really unique and valuable. Whereas I know when I visited hospitals, it's I'm showing up with my Bible and uh somebody's pointing me around to where to go, and that's about it. Then I'm out of there. There has also been a cultural shift as I've been visiting hospitals for many years that when a hospital is either rebuilt or remodeled or taken over, two things often go. Clergy parking and chapels. Oh. Because we are intensifying our secular nature here in this culture, Hmm. and um, it's going to be more difficult particularly to be an institutional chaplain, hmm, hmm. which is why I would recommend churches call a missional chaplain rather than working through a hospital. 
or an organization. Yeah. That makes sense. And makes I, sense. I can't speak for Texas. I can't speak for South Carolina, but I can speak for Chicagoland. Yeah. Those who administer hospitals, particularly in the chaplain departments, may I say, are decidedly left-wing. Mm. And given the cultural Marxism that we are uh, dealing with, I am the enemy because, mm. one, I am male, I am white, I am heterosexual, and I'm a conservative Bible Christian. <laughs> say you believe the Bible is the authoritative four, word of God. Out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it will become more and more realistic that if, if this ministry is pursued, it will have to be done by several churches calling mm. a specialized pastor in this endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and again, if it's... if if we're thinking of these places as mission fields, then that that shouldn't that shouldn't break our mold that much. That's right. You know, for a for classes or a presbytery or a or like you say a church to call a, a home missionary mm-hmm. uh, to this to this kind of work. You know, and I, I think of um one of the most stunning calls I ever got in in the pastorate was a phone call from a chaplain. You mentioned the left leaning mm-hmm. uh, and this um this this lady, the Reverend such and such, says to me, uh, you know, oh so and so is transitioning. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, well, now nowadays that means something else. But I went transitioning to what? I mean, new career? Why are you calling me? Well, they meant they're dying, like they're they're at yes. death's door. Yes. And apparently, they had some reform background, and they wanted me to connect with a local reformed church. So, but I I just thought, why can't you just bring yourself to say this this person's dying? You know, they need they're about to fa- meet their God. Yes. Uh, can you get out here? And he's yes. from your reformed tradition. Yes. Um, there was an instance when the uh, director for hospice care called me and uh, she said, you need to get to this address now. Hmm. We have a woman who was raised a Baptist. She, um, she left the church. She's now 72. She realizes that she has days left and she wants to be right with God. Hmm. You need to get there now because she is, she is actively dying. Yeah. So I raced to this house and, um, uh, the nurses were very, very supportive. They brought me in right away, and uh, she is literally gasping. She has uh, severe breathing issues. Mm. She grabs my hand, and she says, I'm going to, I want to meet Jesus, but I'm a horrible, horrible sinner. Mm. Please help mm. me. And uh, I said, do you believe that you are a sinner in need of grace? Yes, and again, she's breathing very, very heavily. Mm-hmm. Can hardly get it out. Wow. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is is your savior? Yes, I do. Uh, do you believe that he will raise your body again? Yes, I do. And then, uh, do you know the Apostles Creed? Some Baptists don't. Yeah, right. She did. Okay. And then she, I said it with her. And then, do you know the Lord's Prayer? I, and she said, yes, I do. We said that together. And you can see clearly she is leaving this world. Yeah. And when she finished saying the Lord's Prayer, I put my hand on her and mm-hmm. gave her a final prayer. And it was an, almost an immediate relief and oh. release that, okay, I'm going to be all right. Okay. And she died two hours later. Wow. And so, now, do I know the state of her soul? Absolutely. You know, only God does. He's, he's infinite. But I do believe that that was a legitimate last-minute confession. Yeah, enabled it. Uh, she is in the arms of Jesus. So those moments like that make, make the whole all those years worth it. Yeah. If yeah. you can escort... By God's grace, one person into paradise at the last minute. It, it makes decades of very difficult work very worthwhile. Well, and there's, you know, for all three of us sitting here, Jared's sitting here as well, like we, none of us have died. It is nope. the great unknown. Yes. And it's the great unknown for for anybody, even those who have lost loved ones. And so to 
to what an opportunity to just offer that reminder your sins are forgiven yes. you are not under the condemnation of god and and you can close your eyes in peace yes there's nothing you need to do here and to see that literal physical yeah i'm going to be okay she she literally gave up the ghost at peace mm. so that's that's the kind of thing that chaplains specialized ministers can do mm. whereas good solid pas- uh, parish pastors that would be a much more difficult sure uh, endeavor yeah maybe if it's one of your own members but even then you know can you can you can you get there as quick are yep. you in the middle of something else and- but there's there are collateral blessings from that one person the nursing staff saw this and were I still get texts and emails once in a while from a nurse remembering mm-hmm. that and thanking me her family who had a very difficult relationship with her saw that so who knows what the Lord can do with that instance and in bringing people back to Christ that's the reality too. I mean, healthcare is is beyond just the patient. Mm-hmm. Even though that's that's I think where we where we place our emphasis, mm-hmm. and rightly so. Yes. I mean, there there are wounds who are in in the most maybe pressing physical or mental needs mm-hmm. at that moment. But but like you say, there's nurses, there's doctors, there's administrators, there's ambulance drivers, there's triage yep. workers who are seeing all kinds of horrific things. Yes. Uh, this is this isn't um, this isn't just uh, a, a sort of single um, single venue. I mean, it's and, got its own diversity. And, just and like it's the, not a neat process. Hmm. If you're fastidious about order and decorum, you can forget that. <laughs> uh, you can don't sure. don't even bother planning your day. Hmm. Another instance, uh, the, the hospice director called me in and please shut the door. No, what did I say? And uh, I have a very <laughs> in special, trouble again. I have a very difficult task for you. We have a woman who's on hospice. She's having multiple strokes. It's a matter of days. Her son is a active homosexual, and he lives with three other active homosexuals. They're oh, all in boy. their 30s, and they're all HIV positive. Now, you oh, can boy. say no, Pastor Phil, but I would be very grateful if you would go see her because she is not worried about herself. She's worried about the salvation of her son. Hmm. And mm. she needs to have some sort of peace because she's got days left. Wow. And so I go to this tiny little house. She's in the back bedroom. She can't speak, but she can communicate with her eyes. Mm. As, a, as a chaplain, you've got to learn to communicate mm. in extraordinary ways. Yeah, wow. And touch is a critical. And so I held her hand. And uh, before she had too many strokes, she was able to communicate to the director what what was on her mind, and I said, I know you're, you're burdened for the salvation of your son. Hmm. I said, shall we pray for him? And so we did, and I said, he's in the arms of, of the Lord. Only he can change him, and there's hope. If, if our Lord can, can change Saul of Tarsus from mm-hmm. a murderer of Christians into an evangelist, he could change your son. And so we will, we will leave him in the hands of the Lord. And so again, she was tearing up she couldn't mm. talk but she was so grateful and then i got the surprise of my life because the son the 30 uh, some year old active homosexual yeah. hiv positive said would you please have tea with us wow i said i'd be delighted okay and so there i sat totally out of my comfort zone <laughs> totally out of my background yeah yeah and i had a pleasant hour of drinking tea and discussing life with four active 
homosexuals, HIV, HIV positive. positive. Wow. And I thought, Lord, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was never invited into a situation like that as a pastor. And that's another right, advantage that's... of specialized ministry. You yeah. get thrown into completely bizarre and unexpected situations. And so if our listeners have heard Dr. Strange's introductory podcast on chaplaincy, mm-hmm. I would I would urge you to listen to that and listen to it again because he is spot on in these matters. Mm-hmm. No, it's remarkable. You know, and I think it can be difficult and this goes beyond chaplaincy even, I think in general, uh, here in the West, maybe around the world, maybe this is just a matter of our sinful human nature, but I know especially in the West, even in the church, we can have such a pragmatist mindset, right? How is this budget line item, how are we seeing it active in our congregation? And this is sort of like a step of faith to say a budget line item for a chaplain we may never see all these encounters. We may never even see people coming to visit the church that they've engaged with. But there's so much that's happening in in their uh, in their work. I mean, it, in some ways, it's like it's like a foreign missionary. Yeah, we can't go over to Karamoja and and see what our brothers and sisters are accomplishing out there. But we can hear reports back, and and that's sufficient. But it's the same kind of thing. Just to just to see this as a, a a field that is is very much white for harvest. It's the harvest is plentiful. Mm-hmm. Now I gave you two examples of very meaningful interactions, mm-hmm. but that's in between dozens and dozens and dozens of lack of interest, don't care, sure, and and, and the congregations and budget people are very numbers conscious, and you cannot have that approach, sure, in, in sure. the chaplaincy. And also uh, knowing you're going to get a lot of flack, mm. a lot of flack. Uh, I wear a collar as a chaplain because that immediately sets me apart as someone unique. Yeah. And I get a very positive reaction, a roll of the eyes, or a very negative reaction. Mm. Uh, there was an instance where I waved to a gentleman who had just come from surgery and he was there for rehab. I just smiled and waved and, and he literally jumped out of the bed and started abusing me verbally. Oh, my. Calling me all kinds of names, and he considered me a representation of the corruption of the pastorate and the priesthood. You're a thief. Wow. You're in it for the money. You're probably a pedophile. Oh, boy. I don't want to see your face, and don't ever come in here again. Mm. I wasn't going to let that go. Yeah, yeah. I said, sir, I would like to hear all what you have to say, and I will sit here and listen. Because you have something that needs to be heard. And so for an hour, I, he invited me in the room after oh, wow. calling me every name under the book. <laughs> and I sat there for most of an hour and was given a report of the state of the priesthood and the pastorate in America. And I'm sad to say, he was mostly right. Yeah, I was going to say, he's probably not in, not not completely off base with some of those things. And this is one of the perils of being a pastor in this kind of setting. Sure. You have to take the lumps. And so I I, um, I did what I call pastoral judo. In judo, <laughs> someone comes at you, you throw them the same way they're coming at you. And mm-hmm. I, I agreed with everything he said, and, he's, and I affirmed that you have a righteous anger that is correct, and we need to hear it. And he was totally blown away hmm. because he thought I would be defensive, mm-hmm. that I would try to change him. 
and we built a pretty good rapport after that. He actually allowed me to come in and speak with him. Um, so just know that wow. in, in moments of effectiveness, there are there's vast spaces of nothing happens. Yeah. Well, that's that's something we were even going to just ask uh, ask about, and you, you, of course, anticipated it. Yeah, there's the doldrums. There's the active pressures. I mean... Uh, this is this is sort of an eyes wide open kind of thing for for us, you know. What what are? How do you navigate those kinds of conflicts? How do you how do you navigate even po- hospital policies that are increasingly secularized with with your own convictions? Um, how do you how do you cope with that emotional toll? I mean, what, what are how, how do how do Christians pray for chaplains? You know, in in this kind of difficult situation that they're in, because yeah, it's not all. It's a great opportunity, like you're saying, but but it doesn't mean that it's just all kind of a nice coasting, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of a lot of frappuccino, you know, enjoyment kind of. Uh, no, again, most of it is doldrums and being rejected. Um, as far as emotional toll, I have a different take. Um, I I think that some people think that in order to be strong, you cannot share emotion or mm. be emotional. That is categorically false. I think our Lord was very strong, yet he wept at Lazarus' tomb. Paul was very strong, and yet he openly talks about weeping and shedding tears for his beloved brothers and sisters. I think you can be strong at the same time as engaging in their emotional life. And so if if I'm allowed to share with their emotional difficulties, I find myself not having to take that home. If there are moments where I'm overburdened, uh, I think it's very good for pastors to speak to pastors about it and um because they share those experiences i i encourage not a necessarily a confessor but have a, a a close friend outside of your own denomination even that you can freely express your concerns and your emotions without being judged and um, i think that's very important for any pastor let alone chaplains as far as uh, hospital politics and policies, uh, COVID-19 did us no good whatsoever. Mm. It was a t- total disaster. Mm. Um, and there are things that you just can't control. And there's no one, one size solution. But again, I would, I would encourage groups of churches to band together to, to call rather than work through hospital administrations and institutions. If somebody were either a seminary student or a potential seminary student having having this interest you know preparing for seminary or in seminary what what kinds of things can they be looking for as they prepare to graduate i mean there are there programs training programs uh certification processes that they should be mindful of and looking toward you know like you you seem to get into it through kind of a unique way right there's no no one path but it begins with a solid seminary education which I'm glad for Mid-America, Biblical Foundations. And don't underestimate the sacraments. Mm. Too many Protestants just believe the sacraments mm. at church. That is entirely wrong. Um, many, many beautiful, beautiful Christ-centered moments occurred when the sacraments are administered mm. in, in hospital and, sure, and health care. Sure. Um, the CPE, this is the usual chaplain's training program, I'm afraid is infected with leftism and Marxism, yeah. and I do not recommend it. Okay. My experience was bitter. Okay. Okay. However, I would train, try to seek training in dementia care and and uh, mental health issues. I mean, those are increasing mm. multiple times. Bipolar. Um, I was not prepared for that. 
And so I would encourage people to be trained in, in those things how to handle people with dementia who are living in 1957 and not mm. uh, 2023. There's a, there's a method that you just have to stumble through. Sure, sure. Um, memory care ministries, by the way, the cutting art, cutting, uh, cutting edge ministry. It's very, very interesting. Mm. Um, also know thyself. The first thing people see when you are in a healthcare environment is you. What is your comportment? What are you communicating? So I ask people, what do I communicate as I walk normally in the room? Well, mm-hmm. you you are an intimidating old Frisian. <laughs> Uptight Frisian. And you do not you do not communicate comfort. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to learn to be an actor and mm. that have a constant warm smile. It begins with a smile. Begins with being relaxed. I see too many parish pastors come in completely uptight out of their uh, environment. They've been interrupted by from their study, mm. and that, that translates to the whole hospital. Oh. So smile. Greet people. Try to be jovial. If you're an introvert, this may take some training. Yeah. Extroverts right, right. will more naturally fall into this, but very good introverts make very good chaplains. And there's a, there's a few weird techniques that I have learned and that I wear a strong cologne in healthcare settings. And there's a good reason for that. Because it either smells of unpleasant bodily mm. functions or bleach. And the first thing people will notice of me, other than my uptight Frisian attitude, uh, is, You're not pungent. boy, you smell good. <laughs> what are you wearing? I've had that on sure. many occasions. That is wonderful. What are you wearing? And that's an icebreaker. Interesting. Oh, I said, this is what I'm wearing. It, to to be welcomed into a potential, what, how, how shall I say it? Someone who needs ministry begins with trivial matters. Hmm. You cannot go into a hospital setting and say, I would like to declare to you the glories of justification. Yeah. Okay, that they're going to shut down as much as I love the glories of justification. <laughs> that will come later. Begins with the mundane. A lot of them have flowers. I said, oh, beautiful flowers. Someone must care for you. And then that begins discussion of mm-hmm. that person, and you relate to people like that in your life. And, oh, I like to grow this kind of flower. It begins with the absolute mundane areas of life to build the rapport that you are not a weirdo, that you're not there to prey on them, mm-hmm. and you're not going to force some kind of conversion. Mm-hmm. And that is different for every person. And you're going to make loads of mistakes. But it begins with being having a pleasant comportment as you walk through the doors. And you're going to have to leave your anxieties and your uptightness at home. And that will take some work. Medical so. care is so, I mean, it's so clinical by by definition. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the workers are focused on bodies and body parts mm-hmm. that are malfunctioning. And, you know, of course, even medical professionals are are trying to their best to keep a holistic mindset but it just it, it can become so focused on these minutiae that to to, to sort of re-emphasize the humanity here yes. that this is a human atmosphere where there's a human and other humans around that's got to that's just got to be such a valuable and, and wherever you go in the healthcare field whether it be hospice or, or rehab or hospital Human touch is critical. I know we're in a Me Too environment where mm-hmm. you got to be careful. I understand that. But for people in crises, holding hands is critical and not being 
oh, I'm grossed out here. This room is disgusting. There's blood. There's other. You cannot do that. You have to be at ease amongst fluids. I also had to be taught by the Lord to deal with that. Mm. Have you ever seen the show Monk? (laughs) Okay. I see you've seen it. Yes. I kind of was Mr. Monk. Okay. And the Lord says, Not able says, to deal with specks of dirt, specks of... Uh, <laughs> and life is orderly, and life, everything must be in place. Oh my goodness, there are germs there. No. Yeah, yeah. And so, there's another thing. If you think you're completely not wired for this, the Lord will wire you <laughs> if he wants it. Okay. Sure. So. <laughs> uh, and I, I love how you how you put that. I mean, it's in every form of ministry, There is there's that need to... To be flexible, to to be all things to all people. I know that verse gets misused, but but this is very much the right. What you were saying earlier about acting and whatnot, um, yeah, that that that's just how we effectively meet people uh, in these places, and certainly it's the case in in uh, ordinary parish ministry as well. But but I'm, I'm glad you're able to even remind us of of that. Just that need to move toward people. And in general, especially in our you know our Dutch circles, I'm not Frisian. My background's in the north, right? Uh, no, there's still but, the frozen chosen. Yeah, right, right. But Groningener <laughs> is uh, yeah, oh, my yeah. background. Yeah, so, yeah. but uh, you know, but so I understand that that well, and we uh, we can very easily think very transactionally uh, in terms of conversations, yes. and yet know that touch is needed. Can I hold your hand while we pray? Um, you know, how are you doing? Tell me about your family. Again, just a, a way to re-emphasize: you're a human, you're an image bearer, and there's hope. Mm-hmm. You know that, that you're also a child of the King. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're uncertain about that, let me tell you how you can be. Well, thank you so much again, brother. We're glad you could join us, and you've just opened our eyes to incredible ministry opportunities. Not not like rosy colored lenses no. on it. You've you've, you've been it's hard you've been honest. Yeah, I mean, and, and that we need to know this and. This helps us even pray for uh, for our um, our chaplains that are out there. But thank you so much for your time and, and for uh, for sharing with us. My pleasure. May God bless and keep you. We're very appreciative of our guests in these last couple of episodes to join us for this discussion on the work of chaplaincy in various fields. We're going to take a break from this series and revisit it in the weeks to come. But for now, we're going to jump back into church history with Dr. Alan Strange. He'll kick us off with a couple of episodes on one of the greatest theologians who's ever lived, Augustine of Hippo. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts and wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.